Good evening, church. Uh, good morning, I should say. It's great to be with you. And uh, always praying that um, uh, everything's good and that you're doing well. And, uh, you know, I just think that uh, we're, we're beginning to see light at the end of the tunnel. So hang in there and just keep praying. And um, we'll just see what God's going to do. So let's open with prayer this morning. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We come before you in his spirit, Lord, and we ask that you would just speak to us today. We ask that you, Lord, would lead us and guide us each day, Father, uh, while we're going through this this time of uncertainty. Father, we pray that you would, um, again, help us to... To Father, to see you in all of this, God, to look to you and not to what's going on, Father, to, to see you at work and not the world at work and all the things that God seem to be so uncertain, Lord. But we know that you are true. You are in control. Father, you have the last and final say of everything that takes place, God. Lord, we pray your spirit would take over now and that he'd minister to those hearts that might be watching, and those hearts that may not know you, that have not taken a stand for Christ, Lord. And God, we do pray that there would be salvation uh, this morning, God, and again, in, in the teaching of your word. So, Father, we thank you, and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 9. We are going to continue now in our series in the studies in the life of Christ, and again, the encounters of Christ, the, the topic And this morning in John 9, uh, we're going to look at Jesus meets the man born blind. Now, Isaiah prophesied that during the Messiah's ministry here on earth, there would be various signs and wonders. And the Messiah, as Isaiah said, would, uh, would open the eyes of the blind. Jesus often healed the blind. And this encounter in chapter 9 uh, is significant because Jesus had just declared himself in John 8, 12 to be the light of the world. And to prove what he was saying, the claims that he made, he opened the eyes of a man that was born blind. Now, when Jesus arrived on the scene, everything changed. And that's, that's usually what happens when, when Jesus arrives on the scene. This man who was born blind was made to see. Jesus changes things. But opening his eyes here wasn't the greatest miracle. It wasn't the greatest part of this chapter. I think the greatest part was how he opened the heart of the man that was born blind. But it cost him. It cost him, that is the man that was, you know, made to see. It cost him everything to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Which is he, he was willing to do it. So let's begin now with verse 1 of chapter 9. And John says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. So the man couldn't see Jesus passing by. But here's the wonderful thing. Jesus could see the man in his needy condition. And Jesus took it upon himself to heal the man. Verses 2 and 3. And his disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, 
neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The disciples that were with Jesus, they wanted to know, why was this man born blind? And it's that why question, the one that, that many people ask when it comes to those, those things that seem to be unfair and when, it, and when it deals with suffering. The disciples wanted to know, was it the man's fault or the parent's fault that he was born blind? And it's a question, like I said, that has been asked as long as man can remember. Why do people suffer? When you look at suffering just for what it is, suffering, there, there seems to be a, a lot of unfairness in suffering. And the disciples narrowed it down to two possibilities, and that was the thinking at that time. And that was that parents can injure a child with birth defects by their sin. You know, a, a, a woman that's pregnant that, that drinks alcohol or does drugs, you know, she can injure that child and, and again, cause birth defects. Uh, the idea that the man, uh, the man, the blind man was, was responsible himself was based on a tradition based on Jacob and Esau's struggling in their mother's womb. Verses 4 and 5. So Jesus answers the disciples, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is the day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice the disciples didn't ask Jesus to heal the blind man. They were just curious about him, why he was blind, what happened, what was the cause. And they didn't see this man as a man who needed to be delivered. Jesus says to the disciples, I must work the works of him that sent me. At the end of chapter 8 of John, after he told the people in the synagogue, before Abraham was, I am, the people were getting ready to stone Jesus for saying that before Abraham was, I am. And even though he had been mistreated at the temple, Jesus didn't stomp out of the synagogue like many people do today, saying, you know what, if this is what I'm going to get for serving God, I'm done. I don't want to have anything to do with it. We are, to, we are to be committed to our service. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You know, it's not always easy being a servant of God. It's not always easy being the things that God, doing the things that God wants us to do. And if we are, that is, if we are faithful, it's going to require us to serve in spite of the opposition of other people that is against our service. Jesus says, I must work. And sometimes, as I said, serving is work. Serving is work. Serving God is not always a fun thing to do because sometimes it involves difficult work. Jesus says, I must work while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. To be a good steward in serving the Lord, we must serve whenever the chance comes up. We see Jesus as a missionary in service. Jesus submitted to doing the work that the Father gave him to do. And you won't serve well, and I won't serve well, neither will we be a good servant if we haven't learned to submit to, to the authorities, that, uh, the, to the order of authority, you know, the orders of God. Verse 6. So when he had said these things, that is, when Jesus had said these things, you know, speaking to his disciples, he spit on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. 
Now, the word uh, uh, translated anointed, it means to smear over, to smear over. And then in verse 7, Jesus said to the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now, with a lot of the miracles that Jesus did, there was a command that went along with it. And this shows us how important it is and how valuable it is to follow Jesus' commands. Satan is always telling us that God's commands are, are, are a pain. You know, that they're, they're inconvenient, you know, they're costly, they're, they're, they're not any fun. And he, he tells us that so, that so that we won't reap the blessings of obedience. And he gets the believer to believe that, again, that, that God's commands are, 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 are too hard. Uh, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're costly, they're inconvenient, and they can't be done. That nothing is going to happen. But the Bible shows us that God's commands in, in obedience to them are a blessing. We read in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, obedience to God says we love God. Disobedience shows a lack of love for him. And the command that Jesus gave the blind man shows us three things. First, he told the blind man, go. Go. Because nothing is going to happen if you don't move, if you don't go when God tells you to. Obedience takes get up and go. It takes assertiveness. And a lot of people want God's blessings, but they don't want to go. They don't want to go get them. They don't want to lift a finger to get them. The second thing that we learn is the cleansing in the command. After Jesus said go, he said go wash. Notice, wash. Washing would cleanse the dirt that is the clay and the spit off of his eye and his face. Obeying God's command is purifying. It's cleansing. And it's disobedience that defiles us. The third thing that we see here is the meaning of the word Siloam, which means sent. Jesus mentioned it many times uh, in John's gospel as the sent one. So going to the pool of Siloam represents going to Jesus for healing from our spiritual blindness. And notice, the blind man obeyed Jesus' command. Go and wash in the, in, in the pool of Siloam. So... <clears throat> You know, again, going to, excuse me, going to the pool of Siloam represents going to Jesus for healing from our spiritual blindness. He went and he washed as he, as he was commanded. The blind man didn't think twice about going to the pool of Siloam. He didn't waste any time. He didn't stop and think, you know, well, should I really go? Is it really going to do anything? I, I mean, I've been blind all of my life. You know, it, 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 in stopping to think about it, it, he would have wasted time. It could have caused him a delay in receiving his blessing. Or he might have even missed the blessing completely. And, you know, so many times when we don't move, when God says to move, you know, we hinder the work he wants to do in our life. We miss out on the blessing. So again, uh, what was the result of obeying what Jesus said to do? You know, what, would, what was the result of, of obeying immediately? It says, he washed, notice, and he came seeing. The result of the blind man's obedience was to see. Obedience brings great blessing. 
verse 8. Now, after all of this happened, it says that the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Blindness usually resulted in poverty in those days. And this pictures the poverty of sinners. With Jesus being the cure for the poverty of sinners as he was for the blind man's poverty. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We read in in, in verses 9 through 13 now. The people's reaction to the healing. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and he said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They, and then they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now, as a result of the man's healing, there was confusion about who this man was. What caused this confusion? Well, then the blind man was healed and acted totally different. That was the problem. There was a change in the man. And the change was so obvious and it was so great that a lot of people were confused about who he was. He was a different man. The confusion proved that something really did happen to the man. You see, if there was no miracle, there there wouldn't have been any confusion. And it shows us that when Jesus does a work in somebody, you know it for sure. Because if a person is saved, if Jesus Christ has touched a life, you know what? It will show. No ands, ifs, or buts. It will show. There will be evidence. The blind man then put an end to the confusion. He says, basically, it's me. Yes, I'm the one who sat and begged. You see, believers need to be just as upfront and bold about confessing that they're a Christian as this blind man, who this formerly, former blind man did. Now confess, he's like, hey, it's me. I'm the one who was blind, but now I see. Once everybody realized that this was the man that was blind, the changed man caused them, you know, it caused them to ask questions. And, and, and he, you know, they asked him in verse 10, how were your eyes opened? And the healed man gave them a good answer for the healing. He said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then the next question they asked him was, well, where is he? Where is this man who healed you? Now, these questions, you know, they weren't asked because these people wanted to know more about Jesus and and the salvation that he has to offer and the blessings of Jesus. They were asking where he was because they wanted to, to do him harm. They wanted to hurt him. The people took the man who was once blind to the Pharisees. You know, <clears throat> they took him to the Pharisees as if he had done something wrong. As if he was a criminal. And, and, and it, it kind of shows us that, you know, when a person comes to Christ, it won't be long before they start to be questioned. You know, for the good or the bad. It won't be long before a new believer starts to experience gossip, persecution, 
even though their, their conversion made them a much better person than they were. Verses 14 and 17. Now we see the Pharisees' reaction to the healing. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. The true, the true test for righteousness, according to the Pharisees, was whether or not you kept their rules. And especially when it came to the Sabbath. But you see, their rules weren't God's rules. And Jesus was always breaking their rules to show them, hey, th- th- these, these rules that, you, that you, you set for people and enforce, they're not God's rules. And the Pharisees asked the blind man the same questions that the people asked him. What was this man like? And who was the man who healed you? And the Pharisees were more concerned about the, 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 the once blind man's opinion <clears throat> about this man and what he had done more than the man himself. The blind man's answer was short and to the point. First, he tells him what he did in verse 15. He put clay on my eyes, I wash, now I see. He knew why they were questioning him as well. So he tells them all that they needed to know. And then he tells them, this man is a prophet. So after the man answered the questions, some of the Pharisees, it says, said this man is not not of God. And the reason is because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. And then others said in verse 16, how can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? And again, there was a division among them. So it was clear these Pharisees were divided as to whether this man was of God or Jesus was God or, or, or just, you know, he wasn't of God. Now, let's look at verses 18 through 23. We see the parents' reaction to their son's healing. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they, they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So it's pretty clear <clears throat> that the Jews did not believe that this man that was, was blind until they talked to his parents. And it wasn't that they didn't have enough facts because they knew who it was. And, they, and you know, he, he, he could see. You know, it, that the problem was that Jesus was involved in the healing. And when it speaks of the Jews here, the Jews represented the, the religious leaders of Israel. The Pharisees were not the only troublemakers here. It was also the, the Jews, the leaders of Israel. Now, 
As we can see, the parents didn't do very well explaining how their son could now see. And that's because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that they, and they were told that they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. So the parent says, look, we don't know how our son was healed. We don't know who healed him. But you know what? That's hard to believe. You know, it's hard to believe that they were telling the truth because think about it. When their son came home, uh, they, he probably wasn't, you know, feeling around for things so that he wouldn't trip over, you know, furniture and that. You know, they would, they would, you know, they would probably be blown away. Well, you know, he, he can see. So, you know, it, it was hard to believe that, that they're telling the truth because, again, uh, they would notice that he could see and also that he would tell them the same story that he was telling the people the Jews and the Pharisees, about how he was healed and who it was that healed him. Then the parents said to the Jews, notice, he's old enough to speak for himself. Go ask him yourself. You know, in other words, you know, he's a grown man. He can speak for himself. You go ask him. Because you see, the parents didn't want any problems. They were selfish and they wanted to pass this responsibility onto their son. In other words, let their son be persecuted. Let him get kicked out of the synagogue. But we're not going to suffer for him by telling the truth or defending him. So we can see that his parents', his parents attitude was pretty heartless, pretty uncaring, pretty self-centered. What they should have done is, is been excited and they should have been rejoicing. And, and I am sure, you know, when that, when that boy was born and... and found out that he was blind, they had to be heartbroken. And, and they were probably really, you know, sad about that all the time that, that, their, that their son was blind. And now that he can see, they're saying, hey, you know what? You guys go talk to him. He's a big boy now and, you know, he can handle things and, and he, can t- he can tell you himself, you know, how it all happened. So, you know, they should have been excited. They should have rejoiced in the fact that their son who was bo- born blind could now see. And they should have strongly supported him. But, you know, they were so wrapped up in their own, in their own, in their own selves, in their own selfish desires, that they would cause their son even more suffering. I, can you imagine the, that the son who was so excited and wanted to tell him how it happened and who did it and, and was expecting, you know, the, his parents to rejoice and be excited with him? They didn't support him. You know, they, they were just, they were fearing that they might get kicked out of the, the, the synagogue. Look at verses 24 and 25 now. And we, now we see the slander in the reaction. It says, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. I love this answer. He goes, you know what? He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know is that I was blind, now I see. All I, I, I don't know what happens, how it happens, uh, but I do know that something has happened. And it's the same with salvation. We don't understand it. We don't know what happens. We don't know what takes place. But we do know there's a change. And you know it immediately when you've been touched by the Holy Spirit. In other words, when it says here that, that, that you know, this man is a sinner, you know, the, 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 
the, the Jews and the, the, the Pharisees, you know, we, they say that this man is a sinner. This, that's the slander. That's a bold-faced lie. It's a lie about Jesus' character. But you know what? That's what unbelief does. Unbelief says a lot of things that sound true, but, but, but aren't true. Uh, the, the man says, whereas I was blind, now I see. So, you know what? It's your problem. (laughs) It's your problem. All I know is I can see. You deal with it, who he was and how it all happened. So let the persecutors and the doubters and the haters, let them go crazy over what happened. You guys figure it out. The blind man knew one thing for sure. I was blind. I can see now. You see, but the persecutors couldn't take that fact away from him. They couldn't deny it. Verse 26. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now the persecutors here use this cruel tactic of interrogating uh, interrogating him again and again, hoping that they could break him through the exhausting uh, repetition of these questions. How did he do it? What did he do to you? You know, with these questions and these threats and these bluffs to try to get him to deny his story. You know, and many times we've seen, you know, um, records of, of, of somebody that was believed to commit a crime and they're taken into the police station and the detectives question him and they question him and they ask over and over these questions and they do this for hours and the person finally commits, or I should say, you know, says, I did it, I did it. Because they're so exhausted and they're just, it's been going on so long, they, you know, they just can't take it anymore. <clears throat> well, that's the, <clears throat> that's the tactic that the, the, the interrogators were using here, just trying to break the man and, and, and to admit, you know, hey, you know, it, it, it really didn't happen. It really didn't take place or to distort the facts. So, Again, now verse 27. Again, he answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you, I love this. I love the way he turns this onto them now. He turns the tables on. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That was a clever move. Again, he turned the tables on these guys by reminding them, hey, I've already told you how it all happened. I told you how it was healed and I told you who did it. And like I said, he, then he cleverly turns their questioning towards himself. Hmm, are you asking these questions because you really want to know more about Jesus so you could be his disciples? That really took, ticked them off, man. That really made them angry. Look at verses 28 and 29. Then they reviled him and they said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Because we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. When unbelievers, you know, if you've witnessed to unbelievers and you're sharing the gospel and you know you know the truth and you know what you're saying is true, but yet they don't have any answers, man, uh, and, and, and you see they don't have any evidence for their argument, what happens? They start getting angry. They start getting angry and they start name calling. They start yelling at you. And, and, and they, they try to, you know, intimidate you. 
And that's what was happening here. You know, the, they don't have an answer and they get frustrated and convicted and all this. And they just they just lose it. Verse 30 through 33. The man answered and said to them, why? Man, why this is a marvelous thing. Or he said, this is a this is very strange that you do not know where he is from. And yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The religious leaders, you know, when he says, when he says, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from. Because you see, the religious leaders, they were to be in the know. You see, they were supposed to know these things. But the blind man here criticizes them because they didn't know this great healer. The blind man did not shy away from the persecutors. He didn't let them intimidate him. He stood his ground. Why? He had facts. Once he was blind, now I see. How can you argue with that? You are supposed to know these things. And according to the beggar's reasoning, this miracle was amazing and like no other. He said that no one had ever heard of a man born blind receiving his sight. And you see, he reasoned in his mind that God doesn't answer the requests of sinners, but those who are righteous. And James tells us in chapter 5, 16 and 8, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So this man, speaking of Jesus, said the once blind man, he said, he's from God. Or else he couldn't do any miracles. Verse 34. They answered and said to him, you were complete. You were totally born in sins. And you're teaching us? I mean, what pride and self-righteousness. They were above being taught. And it says they cast him out. The world usually doesn't favor those who God favors. The blind man, as a result of what he said and and the healing, was kicked out of the synagogue. Now, this would make him an outcast among the Jews. And this is why I said earlier that that becoming a Christian and confessing that you're a Christian uh, could cost you. Well, here here it says that he was cast out out of the synagogue. Now that and that would make him now an outcast from the Jews, and many times when a, when a person comes to Christ, a lot of times they come an out become an outcast of their own family, you know, and, and friends, and you know, and and they're just you know they're not the, the the neat person they were before they came to Christ in their eyes, and it's crazy that a blind man can be healed, you know, and, and yet be treated so mean. But it's not any different today, is it? When a person gets saved, their lifestyle, their evil lifestyle usually changes for the better. And then they become the object of ridicule. And they're disliked. Many times they're ridiculed and disliked by the very same same people that he was a burden to because of his evil lifestyle before he was saved. You know, and, and, and you know, and I know. I, I remember one incident when we first started way back in the theater. A, a young man who used to get in a lot of trouble in high school, and uh, his parents were 
trying to get him to do right and to stop getting in trouble. And and when he got saved, he was on fire for God. And, and now the parents were bothered because he was going to church. They thought he was in some kind of cult or doing something weird. So, you know, it, it's, you know it's, just, it's just the way unbelievers, you know, behave themselves sometimes. And so, uh, again, the, the man who was once a burden to them is, is now a burden because he, he's a Christian. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? After being cast out of the synagogue by the religious leaders, Jesus found the man and he blessed the man even more. Okay, the first blessing was his, was his healing. Now he can see. But he blessed this man even more. First, he was blessed by enjoying God's presence. He was in the presence of God. The religious leaders, that is which is a picture of the world, they didn't want the healed man. But Jesus did. And it's so much better to be rejected by the world and whined by the Lord than the other way around. Verse 36 through 37, we see the next blessing. It says, Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, the man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. This encounter of the blind man with Jesus after the persecution, resulted in the blind man coming to know Jesus better. And those who are true to Jesus Christ, they will learn more about him because they want to know more about him. And Jesus said, and the word says, those who diligently seek him will find him. Verse 38, the third blessing. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The persecution of the healed man at the end of the day, led to him worshiping Jesus. You know, it's weird, but it's true how persecution often improves a person's relationship and devotion to Jesus Christ. And and a lot of times that's what it's designed to do. You know, when we go through afflictions and persecution and different trials, it, it, it isn't to, to, the Lord isn't trying to, you know, knock us flat on our back. He, he's, he's wanting to bring us to our knees to a place of worship and admiration and adoration for him, to improve our devotion and our commitment to him. And then in verses 39 through 41, Jesus now closes this, this particular case by giving a spirit, the, the spiritual application from the healing of the blind man. In verse 39, it says, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see my face, or I'm sorry, that those who do not, do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. Now, Jesus gave some important truths here about his coming into the world using the miracle of healing the blind man, you know, at a, as a setting and a symbol for what he said. Jesus said, I have come into this world. Now, he gives two important doctrinal truths about himself. First, Jesus saying, I have come into this world, speaks of his pre-existence. To come into the world meant that Jesus Christ had already existed, that he already existed. You know, when he was born at Bethlehem, that wasn't the beginning of his life. That wasn't his beginning. It was the way that Jesus came into the world. Secondly, it speaks of the person of Christ. 
Christ's preexistence before his coming indicates that he is definitely God. The deity of Christ is confirmed by what he said, I have come to, uh, into this world. He said, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be blind, may, may be made blind. So the coming of Jesus into the world had a great influence on the world. And it's described here as judgment. That doesn't mean that Jesus came as a judge, but that his coming would specifically separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat from the chaff. And it would bring salvation to the believers and damning judgment to the unbelievers. Men's souls are divided by their attitude towards Jesus Christ. First, his coming was for salvation. He says that those who do not see may see. So, and he used the blind man as a type. Jesus speaks to those who know that they're sinners. You see, the blind man knew that he was blind, and he acknowledged that he was blind by obeying Christ's orders. So those who are blind know that they're sinners, or I should say they, those who are sinners, they know they're sinners. And again, like the blind man who, who acknowledged he was blind, he was the one who was saved. And those who, who know that they're blind, sinners know that they're blind, they will be saved. Secondly, he came for the coming of, of condemnation. He says that those who see may be made blind. And this speaks of the self-righteous souls like the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees didn't think they needed salvation. And many people that we talk to or that you witness to think they, they don't need Jesus Christ. They don't need salvation. They think they're going to get to heaven on their own goodness, their own works, their own merit. Again, those who, who see may be made blind. This speaks of the self-righteous heart who, doesn't, who don't think they need salvation. Symbolically, it was like those who were really blind, but they couldn't see. They, who were really blind, but thought they could see, I should say. He said that they may be made blind. This is a symbolic way of saying these people's hearts or souls would be condemned to eternal blindness and damnation. Verse 40 says, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus tells them in verse 41, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, so your sin remains. So Jesus charges the Pharisees or accuses the Pharisees concerning their spiritual need. The meaning here is that if the Pharisees would confess that they were blind, they could be saved. The blind man confessed he was blind by following Jesus' orders for healing. He wouldn't have been healed if he hadn't admitted he was blind. In closing, likewise, you won't be saved if you don't admit that you're a sinner and that you have sinned. The Pharisees wouldn't admit to their spiritual blindness. That's why they wouldn't be saved. You know, it's kind of like a sick person who, you know, they're not going to be healed. They're not going to get better if they don't admit they're sick because the, the first thing that you do when you know you're sick, guess what? You seek help. You go to the doctor and you find out what's wrong and then you, you, you take the prescription, you take the medicine. So the first step to healing is admitting that you're sick. It's the same thing with salvation. The first, the, the first step in being saved and receiving the redemption of Christ 
is saying, you know what? I'm a sinner. And I have sinned. And I need those sins to be removed. I need them to be forgiven. And since the self-righteous Pharisees wouldn't admit their spiritual blindness, Jesus says, their sin remains. And that says that they will die in their sins. Which means being sentenced to hell for all eternity. And that's what happens when we don't confess, when we don't, you know, recognize that we are sinners and that we need our sins forgiven. That means we would be sentenced to hell for all eternity unless one day we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this, again, great chapter, Lord, and and showing us, God, <clears throat> our blindness, our spiritual blindness, and then showing us the need, Father, to open our eyes that we might see, Father, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the saving of Christ, through his work upon the cross. And Father, we just pray for those, again, who might be watching, Lord, that uh, if the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts and they recognize and they humble themselves to admit that, yes, I am a sinner. And yes, I need my sins forgiven. And yes, Jesus, you're the only one who can forgive me of my sins because you're the only one who died on a cross for my sins. That you would receive them, that they would ask again for Christ to come into their life and to be their Lord and their Savior and to walk with you all the days of their life. Then they shall be saved. We thank you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, man. <clears throat>